Amen. And Lord, we just ask you to superintend the preaching of your word. You would apply it to every heart in the way that you see best, Lord. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat this morning. We're in 1 Corinthians 14. It's a long chapter. We had to break it up into three parts. And this first part uh, is about building up the body. Now, at a just a cursory reading of the text, you might not arrive at that conclusion. But all throughout Paul's letter um, that we call 1 Corinthians, he's been trying to encourage the church and correct the church. There's, there's a lot of things he's trying to build up in them, and there's a lot of things he's trying to make right in them. Finding the balance between um, encouraging and correcting is not always an easy task. If you're a parent, you, you already know that. Uh, to make matters more difficult, there were some of his original teachings that were now being disregarded or neglected by the Corinthian church. We read, uh, we, excuse me, we've read his rebuke of them uh, concerning several things, like going after worldly wisdom rather than spiritual wisdom, uh, their lack of unity, his strong rebuke regarding sexual immorality. Uh, he chastises them for lawsuits among believers, for maligning marriage, for eating food sacrificed to idols, and, and how to correctly use their freedom in Christ. Additionally, Paul has addressed things like propriety in worship, specifically confronting the women who are dressing immodestly in worship. And he's given instructions for the Lord's Supper. And then he began to teach about spiritual gifts. And that's where we are currently in the book. We've covered a ton of ground with Paul when it comes to Corinth. We've looked at the variety of spiritual gifts and the call for the unity of the body of Christ. And then last week, we took a really hard look at love. The, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter and the... the uh, how love undergirds and supports all of the spiritual gifts. <clears throat> God's Word tells us that without love, our service within the body of Christ, through the ministry of those spiritual gifts, is worthless. If we don't have love for one another in the body of Christ, it's, it's just worthless. We've got to have the right motives as we love and serve one another. And God doesn't need our help. Let's be clear. He does not need our help. But we need to have the right motives as we serve because that's what he's called us to do. He wants our hearts. And, and so, so as we use the gifts that God has given us as the body of Christ, uh, what should be happening is that our hearts should become, be becoming more like his heart. We ought to be growing in love for the body of Christ, love for one another as followers of Christ. <clears throat> the direction of our lives should be becoming more others-focused and more kingdom-focused rather than self-focused. And that perspective just kind of carries over into the text this morning. So when the church is gathered, Jesus considers the building up of the whole body as being more important than every individual expressing their gift. Don't miss this. This is like one of the linchpin essential uh, undercurrents of this, this chapter, Jesus wants the body being built up as a whole, and he sees that when we're gathered as the church like this on Sunday, as more important than every individual expressing their gift when we're together. So the guardrail for us as Christians is that we ought to be using our gifts for the building up of the body, not for boasting in ourselves. So, so one more thing as we, as we get to the text this morning, 
This is the definitive chapter on the gift of speaking in tongues in the Bible. The practice is mentioned elsewhere in the text of Scripture, but the cha- this chapter talks about it more than any other chapter in the Bible and gives us more clarity. And yet, <laughs> this chapter is really more about the gift of prophecy than it is about the gift of tongues, which you'll see in a moment. So let's jump in, <clears throat> and we're going to get right to the text and the exposition because the passage is so long this morning. So look with me, if you will, at verses um, 1 through 5. Paul starts with this. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. The one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, the driving force here is the desire to build up Christ's body, the church. Every Every blood-bought, born-again Christ follower ought to want that all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. That ought to be the goal of every heart in this room. Is we want to see the body of Christ built up. And to that end, Paul begins this section by telling the Christians that desiring spiritual gifts is a good thing. Now we've got this kind of pushback on spiritual gifts. It's like, that's weird I mean, you didn't grow up in a charismatic church or in a Pentecostal church, and we kind of have this, uh, I don't know about this. But, but Paul's saying that these are good. These are gifts from the Holy Spirit he wants to give to the church for the building up of the body of Christ. And the two main gifts that are being dealt with in this passage are tongues and prophecy. So let's define our terms. A prophecy is a prediction or an utterance from someone that's in, inspired by God. The the message from God may be to a person or to a group, but the brief definition of the Greek word for prophecy in the the Bible, propheteia, means inspired utterance from God or a message from God. Uh, I I looked through all kind of lexicons this week just to make sure I had this right, and and, and Thayer's lexicon provides a more comprehensive definition of propheteia as to predict something or to utter something inspired by God, to utter divine inspiration. Now, prophecy has taken on a slightly different definition in our modern church era. It's now not so much to tell the future, but has two main definitions, or maybe it'd be better to say has two main applications. One is simply to speak things from God that would otherwise not be known, things that are not recorded for us in Scripture, but that are applicable to an individual or to a group of people. That's, that's one way that this, this thing works. Or uh, the study of those things that are yet to come. The Greek phrase is metatauta. It means things that are still future for us, that are, that are detailed in the Bible. If you're around in the spring, you're part of our eschatology study. That's one of the things we studied, right? Things that the Bible details in advance, which can be difficult to understand, but have not happened yet in human history. So, so we have a challenge before us as the church because that, that first adaptation of just saying things that are true but aren't necessarily recorded in the Scripture, um, that 
that has, um, well, it's, it's, it's taken on a life of its own in, in different parts of the church today. Um, it's purely experiential in one sense. Somebody says to you, I have, a, I have a word of prophecy for you. The only thing you can do is to receive it, and then there's no way to test it until it comes to pass, if it comes to pass. So you just have to wait and see if, that's, if it's true or not. Now, in all candor, I just have to tell you, I have, on occasion, seen this done well and handled rightly in the church. But more often than not, I, I've seen its abuse as spiritually immature people go around telling people whatever just pops into their head and claiming that it's from God. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. That's, that's a dangerous thing to do. It's a really dangerous thing to do, which is why we ought to ask the Lord for increased discernment on our parts. And the best way you get discernment is by reading the text of the Bible and consistent study of God's Word. So we need to be people of discernment. But prophecy here is contrasted with the gift of tongues, which is a prayer-related gift. The focus of tongues is speaking to God, not to men. And Paul will make this emphatically clear in just a moment. We see that already in verse 2. The, the norm seems to be that no other people in immediate proximity understand the utterances of the person who is speaking or praying in tongues, whether they're known languages from around the world or angelic languages, we aren't told. And you're like, whoa, angelic languages? Like, really? Seriously, Sadie? Are we going there? Well, according to Paul, both of those exist. He says it in the text, okay? So we don't scoff at the notion of unknown angelic languages, but generally speaking, um, tongues are for the individual, and then prophecy is telling God's truth, and that's for the usually for a group of people or even the whole church. So um, just to just to underscore that, 2 Peter 1.21 tells us that the books of the Old Testament, Peter's speaking about the Bible that he had at that point, <clears throat> even though he's being used of God to give us Scripture, uh, that those were being communicated by the Spirit to the various authors. The, the, ver the verse reads like this. He says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter applies this concept of prophecy specifically to the giving of God's Word, which, which only came through, now this may be a surprise to you, Jewish prophets and Jewish apostles. That's this whole thing about God wanting to use Israel to be the way in which the Word came to the world, both the living Word and the written Word, right? So Peter applies the concept specifically to the giving of God's written word, which only came through Jewish prophets and apostles. But we assert that it's not limited to the Bible as God's revelation, since this clearly is a gift being given to some in the church who are not apostles and prophets. And so that's why I kind of, kind of take this angle of this more application of truth. It's not the revelation of new truth. It's the application of God's truth in the lives of His people. This is a very necessary distinction because speaking God's truth over a person or a group of people is not on par with being a prophet or an apostle biblically. That, that's, not the, that's not what Scripture is telling us here, and I want to be really clear about that. Those are two offices that are closed and no longer open to men and women. They were never open to women. Sorry, ladies. Total male chauvinist this morning. Um, they were they're closed because we have the canon of Scripture. We have the Word of God in its complete form. Everything that He wants for us to know in His Word is there for us in this life. 
Now we're gonna we're gonna be with him, and we're gonna we're gonna learn and and grow in our understanding forever because he is infinite. But everything he wants us to know, he's given us in his word. Okay, so this gift is not about speaking God's word in that way. New revelation from God. It's more of an application of God's truth for the people of God. And those with the gift of prophesying build up those who listen to them, Paul says. So here's a comparison and contrast of gifts happening in this passage. Paul's encouraging tongues as a gift, but more so the gift of prophecy. And he's given a really practical reason for this in verse 5, remembering that prophecy is a thing that can be understood by everybody in the church. But tongues, they have to have an interpretation or that gift is not helpful to, to the whole body when it's gathered. If I stood up here and, and rambled off this passage in German to you and then sat down, it wouldn't be edifying to you unless you spoke German, right? So, so this is the thing, right? That, that wouldn't be edifying to the body when it's gathered together. We're told here to pursue love, really the love of the body of Christ, and to desire the gifts, especially prophecy, but it's not one or the other. It's not pursue love or desire the gifts. This is a both-and directive from the Holy Spirit to the church. And, and, then he, and then he tags, especially the gift of prophecy. And we know from what we just read that this gift edifies everyone in the church, not just a few. So to give equal time and emphasis, Paul tags on in verse 5, I want you to all speak in tongues so that we don't downplay that. Okay, That's, he doesn't want us to dismiss it. So let's go on to verse 6 through 8. Let's look at the next section here. So, so, so now, brothers, if, if you come speaking in tongues, how will it benefit you unless someone brings some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp don't give distinct notes. If they don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's being played? And if the bugle sounds an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So there's, a, there's an element of understanding what's happening when the church is gathered together that's really important to, to the Lord. And so the question is, does it edify? Does it build up the body? The underlying principle here is to give priority to the edification of the body of Christ over the individual when it comes to group settings like the one we're in right now. Now, if, if you have the gift of tongues or another gift that is not for the whole body at that moment when we're gathered, then you can go to the person or to the group of people that God has directed you to at a later time and share your gift with them. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you should do that if the Lord is leading you to do that. But the corporate worship environment is not the place for it unless the gift is something that is for everybody in the room, like preaching, teaching, like leading worship, like having a prayer team that would be down front at the end of the service if people could come forward and just be prayed over for whatever's happening in their lives. By the way, I'd really love to add a prayer team this fall and to be able to do that before and after services, just have people down here designated to just pray with anybody's suffering sickness, hardship, that just needs encouragement. I think that would be a, next, a good next step for our church. But Paul puts ex, the exclamation point on this point in verse 8 with that analogy of the bugle not being clear. And what we really have here in that situation is a failure to communicate. Because contextually, this is about someone speaking in tongues, specifically in a corporate gathering like this. Imagine just, I'm in the middle of my sermon and somebody just pops up and says, start speaking in some unknown language. We'd all be like, what in the world is going on? I can't even understand that guy. Sit down, right? It's not edifying. It's, not, it's like a four-year-old trying to play the trumpet. It's just noise. It's not edifying. 
right? So verse 9, he goes on, he says, So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? For you'd be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'm basically a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And Paul continues with the thought related to tongues here. What the Holy Spirit wants for the church when we're gathered together is for God to be lifted up and praised and for the word to be clearly taught and delineated so that every born-again believer in Jesus is edified and built up when we are together. And that requires a clear presentation of the truth and a clear application of that truth to the church. Tongues build up the individual, even if that person's only speaking and praying to the Lord. It's for the individual. But God wants us to engage our minds for our understanding and thinking to be fruitful as well, which is why he gave the church many different gifts. So remember that the goal is to build up the whole church when we're gathered, not yourself. So be eager for the Spirit to manifest, but don't lose sight of Jesus' agenda to build up the body and bride of Christ. Now, I want to stop and share a very personal uh, example with you. And I, I took great pain to get permission from this person who is my second son, Ethan, by the way, who, who uh, currently attends Island Christian Fellowship with Pastor Mike, who we prayed for last week. Now, my son, Ethan, last year was reading a book on spiritual gifts and was desiring to understand the gifts and to figure out what his gift or gifts were. And the book that he was reading, which is a really good book, I'll, I'll recommend to you if you want to know later, just ask me, um, advise him to pray and ask the Lord for the gift that the Lord had for him and to pray and wait upon the Lord and, and just keep praying and waiting upon the Lord and, and, and until the Spirit moved. And Ethan was asking specifically for a gift, a particular gift, uh, because he didn't understand it and he had had a lot of hang-ups about it, a former wrong mindset about it being really taboo, and he was asking for the gift of tongues. And so as he prayed over a few days, he decided, he decided, as he read the book, he said, I need to start trying this. And now I don't know all personally all the mechanics involved of how that went and how he proceeded and what exactly he did. But I do know this. He said after about a minute, he, could, he was, found himself repeating some things uh, and he could discern two words that he was repeating. And, and all he could do with that was write them down phonetically, just what he thought the sounds sounded like. And then, he, and then he thought, I'm going to go to Google Translate and see just if, if, these don't, if these mean anything at all. And, and he put them in Google Translate, and the phonetic version came out with the translation. It was Swahili for I can pray. He'd been praying and asking, Lord, impart a gift to me. I want to I experience this and be close to you in this way. And suddenly in Swahili saying, I can pray. I can pray. He had no idea. He didn't know what he was saying. It was, so, okay. I'm like, okay, I don't have that gift. That'd be great, Lord. You give me any gift you want to give me. That's, that's, that's awesome. Out of pure curiosity, he just, he just like, oh, this is Swahili. And from there, he's, he's been practicing and developing that gift, which is what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. And this is what Paul means in verse 11 when he says, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'm basically a foreigner to the, to the speaker, and the speaker's a foreigner to me. 
Now, when you're alone and you just you're just trying to connect with the Lord, and He gives you a prayer language or a gift of tongues that that's for you and Him, do that, do that. And there's a word about uh, tongues as as people refer to it sometimes as a prayer language, and I just want to say this before we move on to the next section, uh, thirteen and fourteen and fifteen. Um, I want to be clear that when we do assemble a prayer team at Emmaus Road, and and some some of the people on that prayer team may have the gift of tongues or the gift of a prayer language. And just because you might be standing close enough to the prayer team to hear someone praying in the Spirit is not the same as them speaking in tongues in, in, in front of the whole body without an interpretation. That's not the same. I've made that mistake in the past. I've misunderstood that in the past coming up. But so context matters and, and intentionality matters. And when you overhear someone speaking in tongues or, or praying in, a, in, a, in, a, in tongues, it's not the same thing as them standing up before the whole church to do that, right? I just want to make that really clear. I want to be clear about that. So let's go on to 13, 14, 15. Paul says, Therefore the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit. I will sing with my mind also. So again, if you have the gift of tongues, pray and ask God for the ability to interpret. God wants our minds to be fruitful. When I've been in, in, uh, on the mission field, I've been in places like Belarus and Romania, and I've been in worship settings where there was no interpreter for me uh, during the worship portion of the service. And, uh, and in some of those countries, I've, I've preached in many churches, and always there's an interpreter when I'm preaching, uh, translating my English back into whatever language, into Romanian, into, into Russian. into uh, Sometimes in a worship setting, it's funny because... Uh, you'd be like way out um, outside the city in Romania in a, in a village, uh, like 20 miles away from the city. And, and the believers in the village are gathered and they're worshiping Jesus in the church. And then and, and you just feel totally lost. Like I'm waiting to get up and preach. And I know I'm going to have an interpreter telling the Romanian people in the church what I'm saying. But during the worship, I'm just totally lost. I don't, I don't know this song. I don't know this tune. And suddenly they'll, and suddenly they'll do a song that I know. But they don't, they don't suddenly start singing in English. They're singing in Romanian. But I know the tune, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm belting it out in English and I'm singing along. And it's the, it's the coolest thing. It's the coolest thing. If you've ever been on the mission field and have the opportunity to sing with other believers in another language, and you're singing the same song, but you're singing it in different languages, it's like, oh, this is what heaven's going to be like. This is every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around the throne of God praising Him. This is just a little foretaste of, of that glorious reality. So good. It's, it's incredible experience to sing along passionately with other believers as they're singing in different languages. It's just amazing to me. And then Paul goes on, verse 16 and 17, says, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can, anybody, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? or so be it, or, or affirm your thanksgiving, they don't, they don't know what you're saying. You might be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. They don't understand what's happening. So, so you find, so let's just say, like you finally get that neighbor you've been after to come to church with you, right? Maybe that's some of you this morning. I finally got my neighbor to come. And it's like, and the pastor's talking about tongues and spiritual gifts. <sighs> not coming back, right? Um <laughs> 
you finally get the neighbor to come to church with you and, and you get to church and somebody stands up in the middle of the services and starts start speaking gibberish. It sounds like gibberish. And, and, you're, and you just go, oh no. Uh, how is my neighbor reacting to this? How can that, Paul's basically, how can that outsider say amen and affirm what's happening when he or she doesn't even know what's being said? He, the neighbor's thinking you're all crazy, probably never coming back to church with you. The question is, how can the new person in the room be one with you? How can he or she agree in the spirit with you if they're a believer without some interpretation? And that's the right question because, again, the main thrust of this text is building up the body as a first priority when the body is gathered. And so verse 18, Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than any of you. Now, tongues is a thing. Paul's like, I've got the gift in spades. That's not the issue. Because nevertheless, verse 19 in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because one's about building me up and one's about building the body of Christ. Paul makes it personal. He drives the point home. He had the gift of tongues as for his statement. He had it more than any of the Corinthian believers did. And it makes sense. And him being an apostle and all, yet even Paul admits he'd rather speak just a few intelligible words for the instruction of the body than to speak a thousand words in a tongue. We should want what Paul wants. We should want the edification of God's children when we're gathered together. And so he says, verse 20, brothers, don't be children in your thinking. Yeah, be, be infants regarding evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it's written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. As tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. So the call here is to pursue maturity. That means to become more like Jesus in every way. This is what Jesus calls us to and what we, what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus came to his disciples and he said, Look, all authority is in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. And, and then in the, in the parentheses, you could just insert, Now I'm going to deputize you guys. I've got all the authority. There's a new sheriff in town. You're my deputies. Go, therefore. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe. Some translations have it better said, obey. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll fill it in. You'll obey my commands teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even until the ending of the age. Jesus is with us. He's with the church. But this Old Testament reference here for, for verse 21 is found in Isaiah 29, verses 9 to 13. Listen to this. This is beautiful. Paul's just tying, putting a ribbon on this for us. He says, to whom will he teach knowledge and to whom will he explain the message? Who's going to listen to the gospel later, Israel? So, well, well, those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast, who, who's going to listen? For it's precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. It's the systematic study of God's word that gains us maturity as followers of Christ. 
Verse 11, he says, For by people of strange lips and with foreign tongues, the Lord will speak to his people, to whom he has said, This is rest. I give rest to the weary, and this is repose, but they would not hear it. And the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and taken. They don't want God's word. But for those who want it, it's available. But, but check this out. People of strange tongues will speak to this people, to the nation of Israel contextually. You know when that happened? It happened on Shavuot. It happened on what we call Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It was a fulfillment of this prophecy. You remember what happened? The disciples stood up and they began to preach. But everybody that was gathered there from all the nations, all the Jews from all the surrounding nations who, who were coming there for the feast, they were hearing them speak in their own languages. God was translating in that moment what the, what the apostles were saying. It was a a reunification of God's covenant people. What was spiritual Israel under the old covenant now included the new covenant engrafted Gentiles who are the church, who are saved through faith in Jesus. And if you really think about it, um, Acts chapter 2 and what God gave to the church in that moment was a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Because what do they say at Babel? They said, we will be like God. We will ascend to heaven. We will ascend to the throne of God and take over. And he said, you guys are not even going to be able to understand each other. And he confused the language. And here in Acts, it's like, universal translator. So that the church can be one. So that the church can be one. Ponder that this week. It'll blow your mind. 23. To 25, and we'll wrap up. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say to you, you're out of your minds? I mean, can you imagine if people came in here and every person in this room had the gift of tongues and we were all just talking in different languages and somebody came in and it's like, I just came for church. I'm just going to back out. Right? What is going on? But if all prophesy, verse 24, and an unbeliever or outsider comes into the room, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he worships God and declares that God really is among you. That's what we want. We want people to come into the conviction of the Holy Spirit and fall on their face before Jesus and repent of their sins and come to Christ. That illustration makes everything clear. And I don't really think there's much to elaborate there in the last section. So instead, I think we need to stop and ask ourselves, what do we do with these truths in our 21st century American context? What do we do? I want to give you four handholds, and these will be really brief, really fast. Ask, act, allow, and abide. And I'll just unpack these as we wrap up this morning. Ask God for the whole, the whole ask God the Holy Spirit for the gift or gifts that he has for you. Don't let fear keep you from asking God for the gifts that he has. He has gifts for you. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has gifts allocated for you. And Scripture says you do not have because you do not ask. So ask. That's the first step. Ask the Holy Spirit. I was talking with Ethan this just, just yesterday. He was over for my birthday and and, and and talking about his his episode and and it was just so sweet to hear him 
articulate how he began to ask the Lord. And it was, and he was, you know, it was just like this pure, um, awkward, I don't know what to say, Jesus. I'm asking you, right? You don't have to have all the wording figured out and have it eloquent. Just the Lord knows your heart. Ask. Act. Act on it. Put it into practice. Begin to use that gift. Practice makes perfect, right? So practice the gift that you have. If your gift is evangelism, tell people about Jesus. If your gift is teaching and preaching, come onto the preaching team and let's, let's, let's develop the gift. Find out what your gift is and then, and then act on it. Ask him and then act on it. And then number three, allow others to discover their gifts and develop them without judgment in the church. We've got to give each other space, right? To, to figure out what the gifts are that each person has. And so we're just going to be gracious to each other. And if there's some, some textual violation, trust me, your, your elders and, and some of the other leaders in the church would gently saddle up next to that person and say, hey, listen, just want to let you know. Scripture says this. So, so we're going we're gonna to just rein this in, lovingly redirect here, right? Ask, act, allow. And number four is abide. Above everything else, abide in Christ. Make him the center of your walk. Ask, act, allow, abide. Paul commands us not to forbid speaking in tongues. And he recognizes tongues as a valid spiritual gift. But he does warn the Corinthian church about using their gifts improperly. And we can see here clearly, the Bible does not say that tongues have ceased. We are commanded not to forbid speaking in tongues. So in light of God giving all believers spiritual gifts, we should all have a passionate desire to strengthen and build up the church. When the church is gathered, Jesus considers the building up of the whole body as more important than every individual expressing their gift. So the guardrail for us as Christians, we are to use our gifts for the building up of the whole body, not for boasting or building up ourselves when we are together. So the fact that the Spirit's given spiritual gifts to the church is proof that it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about the body of Christ and all of us moving toward Christ-like maturity because God gives gifts for the health and nurture of His church that He might be glorified as the church shines brightly in a dark world. Now, again, just as we wrap up, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given specific gifts, a gift or gifts, and you need to discover what they are and put them to use. And the best place to start is right here. And the best time to start is right now. As you humbly ask him to give you the gifts that he has for you and ask him to instruct your heart on how to operate in those gifts. For we are, Ephesians 2, God, God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Don't you want to be equipped to do the good works that God has prepared for you to do? I do. And I want you to also. And so we're going to ask, act, allow, and abide. Don't leave this place this morning without doing business with the God of the universe who loves you and bought you. Let's pray. Father, we just submit ourselves to you again. Uh, the, these are, for, for some of us especially, in the, in the context we grew up in and, and other churches and other flavors of Christianity, this is, this is hard to uh, wrap our hearts and brains around. And yet it's, it's in your word. It's really clear. And uh, we, we just want to be people of your word. We want to be people who understand your word. And we want to be people who obey your word.
And so, Lord, would you give us grace this morning to, to do both of those things, to understand it as your Spirit applies it to us, and then to walk in obedience to the things you've called us to. And we trust you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given specific gifts, and you need to discover what they are and put them to use. God does not need our service, but he wants our hearts. So as we use the gifts he's given us, our hearts will grow in, in more and more like his own heart. The direction of our lives should be becoming more others-focused and kingdom-focused rather than self-focused. And the best place for you to start is right here. And the best time for you to start is right now. As you humbly ask him to give you the gifts he has for you and instruct your heart how to operate in those gifts. All of this is for the building up of the kingdom of God. Emmaus Road Church, you are sent.